Please remain standing and pray with me. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Lord, I pray for that to be the case this morning with the preaching of your word, that it wouldn't be by human might or understanding or eloquence. Lord, I have so little of that, but I pray that your Holy Spirit now would come and, and fill me and make me a vessel to preach good news. And I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would come and fill each member of this congregation to be a vessel, a vessel to receive good news. Lord, help us to see the truth of the scriptures, Lord, as they are preached this morning. And having heard your word, may we apply it in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. My name is Ben Sharp, and I'm still your pastor. <laughs> wow, okay, thank you. Uh, I'm going to say that every Sunday. Um, no, it's great, it's great to be back in the pulpit here at Christ Church. Uh, we certainly have been blessed uh, with having Bishop Derek Jones in the pulpit for us and then having uh, Keith Huffman preach an, an amazing sermon last Sunday. And for some reason, he seems to be occupied with other business this week. I mean, he did make it to church, but uh, man, I'm, what's wrong with you? Why, where's your family at? You know, oh, wait a second. That's... <laughs> Uh, no, if you don't know, Keith and Dana have a new baby boy, Luke Samuel, and um, uh, Dana's, uh, Dana uh, passed a miracle. She gave birth to a toddler. Uh, she, she, uh, he's 50, he was born at uh, uh, 9 pounds, 15 ounces, which, you know, is just depressing. That one ounce kept her away from saying she had a 10-pound baby boy, but everybody's doing good. Keep praying for them, and as you know, Sam and Gina have a new baby girl, and uh, we want to pray for Evelyn Rose and her mom and dad. That's a true... That's a, and, yes... <laughs> Uh, they, uh, we got beautiful kids in this congregation, wonderful, beautiful kids. Uh, you know, I love this Sunday for one reason, basically, and it's uh, this. It's that this is my German Shepherd's favorite Sunday. <laughs> the it's the Sunday of the Good Shepherd. That's right. Ranger loves this Sunday. No, seriously, the fourth Sunday of Easter is referred to Good Shepherd Sunday because we have a three-year Bible reading plan that we go through here at Christ Church over the course of three years. We call it the lectionary. It's not the whole Bible. Uh, some people call it the selectionary because it's selected text from the scriptures. You need to read your daily office lectionary to get everything else as well. But in that three-year period, on the fourth Sunday of every Easter, no matter what year it is, we'll listen to a text that comes out of John chapter 10. And we call John chapter 10 the Good Shepherd Discourse. That's the place where Jesus talks about being the Good Shepherd. And like so much of John's gospel, the Good Shepherd Discourse is deeply layered with multiple layers of meaning and insights into the person and work of Jesus Christ. But if we're going to understand this passage, we need to realize that we cannot read, we cannot read John chapter 10 isolated by itself. You see, here's the reason why. In John's gospel, there's a pattern. John has presented under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit his gospel in a way that gives us a pattern. And the pattern runs like this. 
In John's gospel, Jesus will do a sign. Now, we would call them miracles, but in John's gospel, the word miracle is never used unless you're reading the NIV, and there they call it miraculous signs, but that's not actually in the Greek text. They're just called signs. Usually they are miraculous, though. And after after the sign, there is a long explanation of what that sign means. For instance, when Jesus feeds the 5,000 in John chapter 6, you know, the sign is the miraculous feeding of a crowd of 5,000 people. And then immediately after that, he launches into that discourse where he says, I am the bread of life. And see, these are these actions, these signs always point us to something deeper. That's what signs do. They point us beyond themselves. And so these signs point to what, who Jesus is and what Jesus' ministry is all about. We actually hear that term sign in that John chapter 6 passage. Um, when the people saw these things, this is John 6, 14. When the people saw the sign, the, when the people saw the sign, not the miracle, when they saw the sign that Jesus had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is coming into the world. So then he goes into that explanation of being the bread of life. And that's exactly what is happening here on Good Shepherd Sunday. The reason Jesus is talking about being the Good Shepherd is that he is explaining, he's not just randomly talking about being a Good Shepherd, he's explaining what happened in the previous chapter, in John chapter 9, where Jesus heals the man who was born blind. So here's the question we have to ask ourselves this morning. What does the healing of the man born blind have to do with Jesus being the good shepherd? And in order to be able to answer that question, we have to go back and lay a foundation. Just for a couple of minutes, lay a foundation going back to chapter 9. In John chapter 9, we're introduced to the man who was born blind when the disciples asked this question of Jesus. As they passed by, Jesus saw a man, uh, man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him... Rabbi, who sinned or this man's parents? He or this, was it this man or this man's parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now listen, in the economy of just those three verses in John chapter 9, here's what we know about the man. He is someone on the margins of society on the outskirts, the periphery of society. And later on, we actually find out he's a beggar, which reinforces that understanding. And in the eyes of the disciple, here's how we know that he's on the margin. Okay, how can I make that statement that we know that he's on the margins? Well, look, in the eyes of, his, of the disciples of Jesus, and we can assume in the rest of this man's community, his condition is seen as the result of what? Sin, exactly. That he's a sinner. Somehow sin is the problem here. That places him on the outside. And on top of that, he's a beggar. So he's socially, because of his being considered a sinner, he, he's physically and he's economically marginalized. He is on the edges. And to make the story short, Jesus heals the man. But, he does, but this man isn't just healed of his blindness. Because of his interaction with Jesus, his life is so transformed by Jesus that those who once knew him as a blind beggar don't even recognize him any longer. It's kind of like we think this is the same guy, but we can't be sure. And the, he, then this man is brought before the religious establishment. 
right? The religious authorities to give an account of how he was healed. The Pharisees, and the Pharisees don't like the answer that he gives them, and they tell this man that Jesus, they don't know where, you know, we know that when, when Messiah comes, we'll know where he comes from, and, and this man, Jesus, we know he's, Jesus is a sinner because he healed you on the Sabbath. And this is the response of the man who was born blind. Then the man, the man who had been born blind answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The Pharisees answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us. And now listen, this is a key part of the scripture. And they cast him out. They cast him out. Did you get that? He is cast out precisely because he is aligning himself with Jesus. He was marginalized because of his blindness, and he, at least he was marginal. He was, he was tolerated on the margin of society. But by confessing Jesus Christ, by aligning himself, however imperfectly he does at this moment in this, in this story, we could read the whole thing we have done in, in previous uh, services. But by aligning himself with Jesus Christ, he's not just marginalized anymore. He's cast out. Cast out. And after they had cast this man out because of his testimony of Jesus, this is what happens. Jesus heard they had cast him out. And having found him, Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, who it, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. After all of this, and after one more tense moment with the religious leadership, Jesus launches into all of this talk about being the good shepherd. This is so the man has been born blind. The man has been cast out. And now Jesus is talking about why he did and what's going why he did what he did and what's going on here. If you want to know why I sought this man out and healed him, it is because I am the good shepherd. Now listen, brothers and sisters, the folks who heard Jesus say those words, I am the good shepherd. We know for a fact that the Pharisees are there, as well as a crowd of other people who aren't necessarily following Jesus. We hear that at the end of John chapter 10. Some of them say, this man is insane and possessed by a demon. And somebody says, do, do demons open blind eyes? That's what it says at the end. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so that's what they, they so we know that not everybody that was listening to this discourse was a disciple, but his disciples are there as well. And so that's when he launches into this, this talk about being the good shepherd. And here's what everyone in that crowd of Jewish believers, people who are in a Jewish context knows. They are listening to Jesus say, I am the good shepherd, and they immediately think about Ezekiel chapter 34, which I know is exactly what you were thinking about. I got to tell you something, folks. Um, I, I am a poor sleeper, and, uh, but I know one thing. I know one thing for sure. The devil does not want me to read the word of God. So what I'll do is I'll, I will turn on a, uh, a, an MP3 of Bible reading, and I'll fall asleep like that. You know, so because the enemy just doesn't want that to happen. I'm being facetious, okay? I do actually, though, listen to the scriptures as I go to sleep at night, and you can do it too. It's on the, you know, on the, everything's on the internet. And I'm listening to Ezekiel, 
Uh, folks, that is a strange book. It is a strange book. But, you got, but, there's, but there are so many beautiful, amazing things in that book. And here's something that everyone in that crowd would have known and understood. They knew what Jesus was talking about and that it came from this prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 34. Listen to what it says, beginning at the 11th verse and skipping around a little bit. For thus says the Lord, and it probably says in your uh, Bible, if you're looking at the Pew Bible, I don't have a clue what page it's on, uh, but it's, if you're looking at Ezekiel 34, in the, in the ESV it says, thus says the Lord God. Now the word God there is in all caps, you know, large capital G and then small capital O and D, right? Whenever you see that, you know that the translators are actually replacing the word for the personal name of Israel's God with that word God. So, so what it actually says, thus says the Lord Yahweh. That's God's personal name. So let's read it like that. For thus says the Lord Yahweh, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. I myself will shepherd my, be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord Yahweh. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. What's going on here? Jesus says, I'm that shepherd. I'm that shepherd. I am your God, Israel. This is, it's crazy. We cannot escape Jesus's radical claims to his personal identity with Israel's God, with not just in the, throughout all of the gospels, but real profoundly here in John's gospel. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy. In me, Israel's God has come seeking his lost sheep. Here's where we come to the finest point in this passage. As we look at this, as we delve into this, listen. In Jesus Christ, hear me, in Jesus Christ, Israel's God has shown up in person to seek for the lost and the marginalized and the outcast. And I am the good shepherd. I have come to seek the lost, the marginalized, and the outcast. And I will feed them with justice. That is good news. That is good news. That's why Jesus healed the blind man. He was one of the injured sheep on the margins that Yahweh has come looking for. But it gets even better than that. Remember that this man is not just marginalized because he was disabled. After he is healed and transformed, what happens? He's healed. He, okay, so you would think being Physically disabled, marginalized because he's a beggar, socially marginalized because it's assumed he's a sinner. But you would think after he has been healed and transformed, he would be welcomed into the bosom of the community again. But that is not what happens. He is actively cast out because he is connected to Jesus Christ. That's why this man gets cast out. Because Jesus has transformed his life. Now here's the application among many, but the one that comes to my mind this morning. 
This is why this is so important for you and me for right now. We have arrived at a time in Western society in general, and actually, as unusual as it may seem, in North America in particular, that having traditional Orthodox biblical Christian convictions regarding, regarding human sexuality and the sanctity of human life and the priority of the Christian conscience over the authority of the state, all of these, our convictions are seen at least by those who are the establishment and the rulers as being morally wicked. Now you say, well, what what do you mean this priority of Christian conscience over over the estate? I mean, I didn't even know that was on the menu. Oh, there was a time in this country where we had things called conscientious objectors, where people whose religious convictions did not permit them to take a human life in war would be excused from military service and given an option to maybe work for the Red Cross, but not to bear arms. We need to remember in that context that Jesus actively seeks his cast-out sheep. He is actively present with those who have been cast out because of their commitment and connection to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm gonna, I want to bring in a, an illustration from the news, and I, I, I'm hesitant to do that because... I don't want to inflame the passions. In other words, I don't want, the, the purpose of telling a story, this story is not, if you feel outraged, then you've got the wrong purpose for me telling the story. I want you to hear the story uh, in, the, in the context of the Good Shepherd. And even as I tell this story, I have to set it up by saying this, uh, because we, we need to continue to, to put this out there because people are going to draw their own conclusions. If you're a Bible-believing, following the teaching of the Apostles' Church, you're going to be labeled in a certain way. But we need for everyone to know that Christ's church can be characterized as welcoming and faithful. Welcoming. In other words, we are a congregation that welcomes everyone. And yes, we mean everyone who is on their journey toward Jesus. We don't expect sinners not to act like sinners. You know, I've told you this before. We have a hard enough time getting the Christians to act like Christians. We, we don't expect to get the sinners to act like Christians. And they're welcome with us because we've been right there with you. Right there with you, friend. And so we welcome everyone who is on their journey toward Jesus. And we don't have, we don't have a clock on you. In other words, you're not, this isn't an Olympic tryout for, for the 100-yard dash. Some of us are crawling towards Jesus Some of us are on the 100-yard dash to Jesus. Some of us are kind of two steps forward and one step back towards Jesus. But we welcome everyone. But we also are a faithful congregation in that we hold to the historic teachings of the Scriptures and of the apostles regarding those pressing issues that are number one in, in the news today, things like human sexuality and marriage and the sanctity of life. Yes, we're right where Jesus was. We're right where the apostles were. We're right where the early church fathers were. When we're right where almost every Christian church throughout history was up until about 15 minutes ago. That said, when I hear this story about the, the man who's cast out and how Jesus is his good shepherd, I can't help but think about Aaron and Melissa Klein, who are the former owners of Sweet Cakes by Melissa's Bakery 
in Gresham, Oregon. They lost their business and have been fined $135,000, an amount that will, by the state of Oregon, an amount that will leave them and their children homeless and bankrupt. They have been fined this because they would not, in 2013, they would not bake a cake for a wedding ceremony of a same-sex couple. Because as followers of Jesus, they believed that this would make them participants in a religious a ceremony of a religious nature that completely contradicted their commitment to Christ and that was forbidden by the teachings of Jesus. They had been hospitable towards these people already, and they had served their family already in other situations. But they wouldn't make a wedding cake, and that was the problem. And so a complaint was filed, and this couple, the the decision came down this week. It was going to be $135,000. Well, then also later this week, someone started a GoFundMe campaign to help with the cost of the fine um, that this couple had incurred. But because these people had so infringed and transgressed the moral, the new moral orthodoxy of our culture, someone, in, uh, in one story I read, it was one of their competitors, former competitors, another baker, contacted GoFundMe and told them that the clients were criminals and that the money was going towards illegal purposes. And so they shut down the GoFundMe page. Make no mistake, there is an agenda to destroy this family because of their faithfulness to Jesus, a faithfulness that contradicts the new moral orthodoxy of our post-Christian society. Now, I do not tell that story to inflame the passions, passions of anger or outrage, because this is what we're going to do. We, we love those who consider themselves our enemies, and we pray for those who persecute, it, persecute us because the same guy that said, have you not heard that from the beginning God made them male and female for each other? Therefore, let not man, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. That guy also said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So we don't get to choose the parts we like and the parts we don't like. That's what keeps getting us into trouble, is that we kind of have to take everything he said and did and say, that's us. Here's why I want you to hear the story. The good shepherd is with this family who have been cast out by the authorities. And they have a good shepherd story to tell. Melissa said this in an interview said, I've seen how much God has, provi- has provided for us. I'll be standing in the kitchen crying because things are so hard financially. And Aaron will say, let's pray. And we'll go to the mailbox, and there's a check from a random stranger. I would go through this all over again because it has grown my faith in the Lord so much. We have a good Shepherd, who seeks us, who holds us close. You know, um, many scholars, this is, I, it's speculation. It's not, there's nothing in ancient texts that give us uh, definitive reason to believe this. 
but many scholars suggest that John is writing to his church in a time, and he's remembering the stories of Jesus like this. He's, he's, he's bringing the, the events of Jesus' life, and John himself says, if I were to tell you everything Jesus did, the world wouldn't have enough room for the books that it would take up. So he says, I'm going to tell you these stories. These things are written that you might believe. And believing on him, you might have life in his name. These things are written that you might believe. But I think, and some scholars think that the reason that we have these texts in particular and this particular one is because it was written to a church in a time in which they had been cast out of the synagogue for their adherence to Jesus Christ. So Jewish Christians had been cast out. This is written to a community of Christians who were feeling cast out in a society where they once felt at home. And to that community, Jesus says, through John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I am the good shepherd. I tell you these things, my little children, so that you will not fall away when you are cast out. Because we need to know that when you are cast out, when I am cast out, the good shepherd will find you. No matter where you are, and will seek you, and will come and get you. I love this story because he seeks the outcast before he is committed to Jesus, and then he particularly finds the outcast because he has been committed to Jesus. If you are on the margins this morning, and some of us who don't look very marginal at all feel pretty marginal sometimes, the Good Shepherd is coming for you to love you, and to seek you. In this passage, Jesus intimately connects his identity of being the good shepherd with one thing. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Self-giving, self-sacrificing love. The good shepherd is willing to go to the uttermost outcast place and he does go to the uttermost outcast place he goes to Golgotha the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem where the outcast and refuse of humanity were taken to die and he is willing to go there to find the outcast sheep and beloved the deepest, truth, the deepest spiritual truth is that that's where you and I were. We were on the garbage dump left to die. And he came and found us. Jesus literally went to hell and back again to find us. Because that's what a good shepherd does. Jesus literally went to death and back again to claim the outcast. In other words, the cross is what it means to be the good shepherd. He gives himself over to be tortured and humiliated and nailed to a cross. His credentials as the good shepherd are that he will lay down his life for his sheep and then in the resurrection he takes it up again. And coming back from the valley of death, he rises in joy and glory and he carries his outcast sheep into the presence of his father. And we see that preached every Sunday right there. There is no good shepherd without a cross. 
You can't look at the good shepherd without seeing the cross. You can't look at the good shepherd without seeing the marks of the nails in his hands. We have a good shepherd that seeks the outcast. Now, church, and this is what we heard in 1 John this morning. 1 John is kind of like, it's almost like, I don't know, commentary on the gospel of John almost. Jesus says, now that's my commission to you as well. Uh, that you love one another. That you love not only in word, but in deed and in truth. This is how we know what love is, John says, by, by laying down our lives for others. We're called into that ministry. We're called to be partners with the good shepherd. But the good news for us this morning is this. Is that... <laughs> is that no matter how outcast you may feel, no matter how outcast you may become, you are not outside the reach of the Good Shepherd. He will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.